Uh, listen, hey, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please join me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24, really 19 through 21, um, but I'm going to read 19 through 24 uh, for the context because I believe that'll be helpful for us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to pray and ask God to bless our time through the preaching of his word. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. I'll be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. <clears throat> and it reads, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let us pray. <clears throat> God, you are great and mighty. Lord, you are the maker of heaven and earth, the giver and sustainer of life. You are worthy of all the praise. Father, you're the reason that we're gathered here together this morning to honor you. Father, I ask that with the time we have here in your word as we study this together, Father, that you would use me for your glory, that through the preaching of your word, you would be glorified, but this would be beneficial, fruitful to each of us, to all of us in here this morning. Would you open our hearts to receive what will be said here in this space and to respond to it accordingly? Father, would this time of preaching, of teaching be uplifting to the body? Would it be edifying to us? But most of all, would it exalt the name of Jesus Christ? And I pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. So the holiday season is firmly behind us. So we're about two weeks into the new year. And here's really a great opportunity for many of us to stop and look at those New Year's resolutions that we made and say, man, how am I doing so far? You know, if you were here last week, Pastor Tyler talked about that a little bit, but Here's an opportunity again. We're two weeks in. Take a minute right where you're sitting. You don't have to say anything out loud and just ask yourself, how am I doing so far? Am I attaining those goals? Have I been very disciplined? How am I doing? And if you sit here and you say, man, I, I got to be honest, man, I haven't done any of the stuff I said I was going to do. You're probably not alone in that. So don't feel bad. It's difficult, right? We often set a lot of these goals for ourselves and we have wonderful intentions and we intend to make these commitments and to do all of these things, but it does require a certain level of discipline. And it's not always easy. But I would say that I believe most of us in here, we want to honor the commitments that we make. We want to be people who keep our word. So listen, there are a lot of wonderful things that we could commit our time to. Again, as we think about our New Year's resolutions, like how we spend our time uh, getting in better shape, like eating better, exercising, 
putting a budget in place, less screen time. Those are all wonderful things that we could make commitments to. But what I want to talk about this morning is something that I think is God's people we should be forever committed to, not just one time throughout the year, not just for a few months, but something we should commit ourselves to regularly, and that's the idea of generosity. Listen, I know I don't want to overwhelm anybody in here this morning, but I'm just going to let you know that I'm going to offer you one more thing to commit yourself to this year, and that's being generous. Right now, listen, I know that when we talk about the idea of generosity, that makes some people uncomfortable. Right? Some of you hear the word generosity and you're already squirming in your seat. Like, here we go, man. This dude's fixing to stand up here for 30 minutes and talk about money. Baby, grab your purse. Let's get out of here. Right? But I, I want you to understand that's, that's not where we're going. Is that part of it? Yes and amen. But that's not the extent of it. See, the generosity that God calls his people to goes well beyond what's in your bank account. Goes well beyond that. See, my desire this morning is that we would be people who have a biblical understanding of what it means to be generous. You know, just to show my hand again a little bit, that, that goes beyond your money. That goes into every part of who you are and what you have. We need to be generous because God's been so generous to us. You see, the problem with limiting the idea of generosity to money, to finances, is that some people will sit in here and they just, they tune out immediately. You'll say, man, I'm already giving. I, I pay my tithe. I give to the church every month. So, pastor, this sermon ain't for me. So, I'm just going to check out and think about the playoff schedule this afternoon. I don't really need to listen. I'm already giving. But again, I, I think God's word has something to say to us today. And we should all tune in. I don't want us to just look at the act of generosity, of giving. I don't want to just look at the act itself. I want us to look at the why behind it. Why do we give? Why are we generous with ourselves? So here, listen, I have two points that I want to make very quickly, and then I'll end, I guess, the third point, if you want to call it that. We'll end just by looking at some practical implications of generosity. I want to give us some simple examples of what that looks like in our lives as God's people. Do I still have you? You sure? Okay, praise God. I'm gonna take a sip of water. And now we're gonna jump in. So here we are, point number one is this. There's an expectation for generosity. There's an expectation for generosity. Now listen, when I began, I read Matthew 6, 19 through 24. But I want to back up to the beginning of Matthew chapter 6 and look at what Jesus says there. You see, the expectation for generosity is true, but it's especially true amongst God's people. You see, Matthew chapter 6, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that this is right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, probably Jesus' most famous, most popular, most notable teaching. You see here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what the Lord Jesus does is he tells his disciples and anyone who would choose to follow him, this is the right way to live in the world that I've created. And so when we arrive here at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus issues a warning to his hearers. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So here, initially, Jesus addresses the motivation behind our acts of righteousness, 
right? He says, if you're only doing these things for recognition, it's meaningless, right? So if you're a person who exercises generosity, if you're a person who serves, if you're a person who does these acts of piety only to elevate your own name, that's the wrong motivation. Would we all still with me? All right. So see, this is really addressing the posture of our hearts. You see, in the attitudes behind our acts of righteousness. But what I want to look at really is verse 2 and what Jesus says here. Let's look at Matthew 6, and I'm just going to read a portion of verse 2. Jesus says this. He says, thus, when you give, now we'll, we'll just stop right there. So I want you to notice what Jesus says here. He says, when you give. You see, Jesus doesn't say, well, if you decide to give, or if there's an opportunity that presents itself where it's convenient for you to give, if you should choose to do so. No, Jesus says, when you give. So he speaks about giving as though it's an expectation. See, he says this elsewhere. He also says, when you pray. He says that later in chapter 6. Then he goes on to say, when you fast. Right? So much like prayer and fasting, our expectations are part of the Christian life, Jesus speaks about giving and generosity as though that's also expected of the Christian life. When you give. That's just a normal part of being God's people. You see, unless we think this is just a teaching exclusive in the New Testament, this is something we also see in the Old Testament that God's always desired for his people. So what I want to do is look quickly at a couple of Old Testament passages that support this truth. So if we go to the book of Exodus, I think many of us in here are probably familiar with the book of Exodus. God's people, the Israelites are in Egypt. They're enslaved to Pharaoh, and they cry out to God, and God, in a miraculous way, brings them out of slavery, delivers them from the hand of Pharaoh, and then he begins to give them laws and statutes to live by, how to live exclusively, distinctly as his people. And then he tells them that he wants them to build this tabernacle or this worship center. And then if we look at Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2, after he's given them instruction, he says, I want you to build this tabernacle this place of worship. Exodus 25 verses 1 and 2 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution from me. And then if you continue to read through the rest of that passage in Exodus 25, it tells you what the people gave. That they gave gold, silver, bronze, ram skins, like all of these valuable resources and assets they had, they gave for the building of the temple, for the glory of God. They contributed their own possessions towards this project for God's glory, right? That's one. Let's look at Deuteronomy 15. This talks about giving to our brothers and sisters, right? This idea of generosity across our horizontal relationships, this is, again, again, God's commandment to his people. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 and 8 says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him 
and lend to him sufficiently for his need, whatever it, whatever it may be. So this is once again the Lord giving instruction to the nation of Israel on how they are to live as his people. And he says, you're supposed to give to those in need. You're supposed to be generous to those around you who may have some sort of need. You see, God has always expected his people to have an attitude of generosity. And brothers and sisters, here's why. Here's the important part of it. See, we're called to be generous people because God has been so generous to us. Amen? You see, ultimately, in the most loving act of charity, the Lord has given us Christ Jesus, the perfect and complete sacrifice. You see, God has offered the spotless lamb who covers all of our sins. You see, the Lord in his kindness and his generosity has provided a way for sinful men to be forgiven, justified, and redeemed. See, even in the Gospel of John, we're reminded of this reality which says that we've seen the glory of God and we've received this grace upon grace, right? That's abundant. That's extreme kindness. That's undeserved. It's unmerited. It's unearned. It's the favor of God graciously and generously gifted to his people. See, Christian, the Lord has been so incredibly good to us. We could never match the offering that he's given us. But if you ask yourself, well, why should I be generous in every area of my life? Why this call for generosity? Because of Christ and his gospel. You see, we give of ourselves in response to what he's done. See, that should be your primary motivation. Because the Lord has given us Christ. See, not only that. Not only has God given us Christ, and that is primary, that changes everything. But see, if you truly believe in the sovereignty of God, then you realize that all that you have and all that you are has been provided to you by his hand anyway. He's given it all to us. You see, there's nothing in your possession that God has not graciously given to you. See, Job is a man who understood this. And we learn this in Job chapter 1, verse 21. See, after Job has literally lost everything. I'm sure most of you in here are familiar with the story of Job. You know the tragic loss that he experienced. And then Job, in that moment, Job 1.21 says, This naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, and if you continue to read through the book of Job, Job, it goes on to remind us that God is the one who sends the rains upon the earth, the one who produces food for the eater, the one who provides for man and beast alike. It's all provided by God. Christian, stop and think about that. Not even just a Christian. Listen, if you're in here this morning and you're not a Christian, everything you have has been given to you by this God that you deny. It's all from him. See, even the Lord Jesus challenges his disciples in their faith, telling them not to worry about the things of this life because it is God who will provide for them. Look, turn over in your Bible to uh, the end of Matthew 6. So we're right here already in Matthew 6. Jesus goes on to talk about this a little bit more. Let's look at Matthew 6, 25 through 33. 
And this is a principle that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, not to be worried about all the stuff, but to understand that it's God that provides for them. Matthew 6, let's just start at 25. I'll read this for us quickly. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We'll just stop right there. See, that's a reminder to us that we don't need to be so consumed with the stuff and the things, but even the stuff and the things that we do have, man, God's the one who's provided them to us. He's graciously given us all that we have. You see, it's God that provides for us. He's the one who gives to his children. He's the one that supplies our needs. Listen, I'm sure even some of you sitting in here today can think back to a moment in your life or maybe you didn't have a lot. Or maybe you're not sure how that, that bill's going to get paid. Maybe you're not sure how you're going to get food on the table this week. And God miraculously provided. See, that helps to put everything in perspective. When you look around at all the things that you've accumulated, if you've been fortunate enough to have anything, man, God's given you that. And it's not because you're some spectacular, amazing person. It's because he's a spectacular, amazing, incredible God. And he's graciously given it all to us. So simply put, if we think about what we have and what we own, and we ask ourselves, why should I be generous? Because I wouldn't have any of it without God anyway. And we'll get to a little bit more of the uh, practical side of that. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I think it's first and foremost for us to, uh, important for us to understand that there's a call to be generous and that God is the one who has provided all things to us. Listen, here's point number two. We're going to look at the text, verses 19 through 21. But point number two is this. There, we want to look at the heart of generosity, the heart behind our generosity. And we'll look at verses 19 through 21 here in Matthew chapter 6. So I want to read this again for us quickly. This is what it says. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see here, Jesus warns his disciples against accumulating a mass of treasures. He's telling them, don't be consumed with accumulating great material wealth. And honestly, this is something I think we're all prone to. See, the things of this life have a particular shine to them, don't they? 
I mean, it's so easy for us to become consumed by material possessions, by the things that the world has to offer. You see, we tend to believe that those, those things will complete us. We just dread the idea of having to part with them. But what I want you to realize is that none of these things, none of these earthly possessions eternally satisfy. I want you to think back even to the example in the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, a dude who had everything. And I mean literally everything. You ain't never going to be getting it like he was getting it. That brother had it all. Right? And what does he say? Because it's meaningless. He says it's like chasing the wind. It's vanity. None of it means anything. And see here, Jesus even goes on to warn his disciples of why having that type of thinking, like I just need to amass more stuff, he goes on to tell them this is why it's so dangerous. And this is why. He says, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, this is one of those verses, man, that just it lands like a punch to the gut. And if you really stop to consider the implications of what Jesus is saying here, and this one tends to sting a little bit. You see, what our hearts desire most is shown by the things that we pursue and prioritize. You see, what you value most has your greatest affections. It has your heart. You see, when we speak about generosity, it is primarily a matter of the heart. There's a reason the Bible over and over and over again addresses the hearts of men. And while we're reminded over and over again that we need new hearts, hearts that love God and love our neighbor, because we can't do any of this without God changing our hearts. All of the practical instruction that we'll talk about in just a few moments, none of that happens unless God first changes your heart. And if you try to do any of these things apart from that heart change, man, you're just, it's just it's pharisaical. It's like an external piety with no internal change, no internal transformation. None of that matters. See, generosity is a discussion primarily about where is your heart? So this is a great opportunity for everyone in this room, including myself, to stop and let's ask ourselves, what has my heart? I mean, truly consider that. Is it Christ? Is it the God that's saved you? Or maybe it's something else that holds your greatest affections. You know, a really great way for us to answer the question of where is my heart is I want you to think about how do you feel about the things in your possession? Especially when the thought comes to your mind about having to part with them. That'll tell you where your heart lies. It's a great way to tell on ourselves. How do I feel about the things that are in my possession? See, if I value my money and my possessions more than anything else, I'm not going to give generously. See, even just the thought of that generates a particular response. It stirs up certain feelings because I don't want to part with those things. You see, if I value myself most and my comfort and convenience over the well-being of my brothers and sisters, I'm not going to be generous with my time 
I don't want to take the few extra moments to engage with that brother that needs it because I value me most. That's what has my heart is me and my comfort and my convenience. I'm not going to be hospitable. I'm not going to serve and meet the needs of others because my heart's in the wrong place. See, what you cling to so tightly, what you treasure the most has your heart. I want you to consider the story of the rich young ruler. And again, I think many of us are very familiar with this. If you want, you can turn with me. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10, verses 17. I'm just going to read 17 through 22. We're going to read this quickly. And I think many of you are probably very familiar with this story. This is a young man who comes to Jesus and essentially says he wants to follow him. Let's read how this plays out. Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. And he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these have, I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is very telling about where the man's heart was. See, Jesus says, look, you know the commandments, brother. And the dude's like, yep, I done kept them all, which is probably not true. But let's just say it is. Jesus knew that he hadn't kept the first commandment to have no other gods before me because the man was an idolater. He loved his stuff, which is why he was so disheartened with the thought of getting rid of all of it. See, even if the man had gone and sold all of his possessions and given the money to the poor, if he'd done that begrudgingly with a heart that was bitter, it would have really been of no value. See, this is another great place for us to really stop and think, something for us to really press down on. We should be people who give generously, but we should give willingly. Right? It shouldn't be something we have to pry out of our hands. You know, it's what the Old Testament calls a free will offering, something your heart desires to give. If we even go back to Exodus 25, the verse I read a few moments ago, it said this, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. See, God didn't tell Moses, look, go and take all this stuff from these people. He says, no, those whose hearts stir them to give. See, that's a willingness demonstrated there. A heart that wants to give. You see, unless our hearts are primarily tethered to Christ, compelled by him and his gospel, we'll never be able to exercise the kind of generosity that God expects of his people. See, we must be people who first have our affections in the Lord Jesus, who love him most, who are motivated by our love for him, but even more so his love for us. 
See, as we have this conversation, it really begins with the heart. See, when we talk about generosity, it's not just enough to consider what we give. We must also consider how we give. So think about this for a few moments. Is your attitude one that's where you give begrudgingly? Is there an attitude of resentment? I want you to think over the, over the years, maybe even over the last year, where there have been opportunities where you have to give of your time, your treasure, your talent. What was your posture towards that? Is that something you were reluctant to do? Or did you have a posture of joy and thanksgiving? You know, as I was preparing this message, I thought about the parable that Jesus shares in Matthew chapter 13. Again, one we're probably very familiar with, the parable of the hidden treasure. And I think it's one of the shortest, simplest parables, but it's so profound, it's so impactful. Because I believe it teaches something about our hearts, about the kind of disposition we should carry as Christ's people, even in our giving. See, Jesus says this, Matthew 13, 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. See, that's the key to it right there. There's, there's a great joy that's expressed in giving up, surrendering, because I have Christ. So I'm joyful even in my giving. Now, I understand this is a parable about the kingdom. We don't earn our salvation to give by giving. Right? We can't earn favor with God by giving. But if you understand that you are eternally secure in Christ, justified, redeemed, there should be a joy in giving of ourselves, especially, again, when all that we have and all that we are has been provided by him. See, there's a joy that must be attached to this idea of generosity. See, again, if we look at the parable, the man wasn't aggravated. He doesn't have this firm grip on the things that he owns. Nobody had to tear it away from him. He does it joyfully. See, he was the opposite of the rich young ruler. See, that brother went away sad and defeated. It says this man exercised great jubilation, great rejoicing and giving it all up. His heart wasn't tethered to those things. Again, this is a parable of the kingdom, so the treasure in this parable is Christ. And much like this man, we should be willing to surrender all that we have with great joy and rejoicing because of the glories of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he has rescued us and secured us for eternity. Again, the whole point here is to address the heart of our generosity, to consider our posture, our attitudes. So again, I ask you, what is your attitude towards this whole conversation? Does your heart rejoice joyfully when you think about being generous in whatever capacity that may be? 
Whether it's financial, whether it's giving your time, your energy, whether it's serving others, whether it's opening your home, and we'll get to all of that in just a moment. But when you think about doing those things, what is the posture of your heart? What is your attitude? What is your disposition? Because that's important. And we want to be people who give generously and graciously, who prioritize this in response to the gospel in light of all that Christ has done. And again, maybe you sit here today and that's not you. Or maybe you sit here and it's like, well, I don't really know what that looks like. Like as we're having this conversation, Pastor Brandon, I think I want to be one of those people. I think I want to. I just, I don't really know what that looks like. So let's talk about that. This is my final point. This is kind of where we'll end our time this morning. Is what does generosity look like? What are some practical ways for us to show this in our own lives as the people of God? Well, number one, first when we talk about generosity, we obviously must consider our finances. Uh Uh-oh. Some of y'all got real uncomfortable. It's the elephant in the room, right? Kind of introduced it already. Yes, we think about our finances, our bank account. I mean, I think that's what most people initially think about anyway. When we talk about generosity, the conversation often centers around monetary giving. And as God's people, we should be generous with our finances. Absolutely. Absolutely. We should want to give. But I want to make sure we understand this accordingly. Listen, God doesn't need your money. He does not need your money. And listen, we don't require some temple tax. You don't have to pay to come in here on Sunday mornings. Amen? Praise God for that. Because some of y'all are like, yeah, I don't know if I'd come back. I don't blame you. Because in Christ, we have free access to God. Amen? We don't have to pay anything to come in here and worship and fellowship as his people. Right? So there's no tax. There's, God doesn't need your money. However, the church is only able to operate, we're able to continue our ministry through the generosity of those who are willing to give. I think we all understand that concept, right? Still got you? We're, we're all right? Okay. Yep, so obviously money isn't, it's, a, it's not everything, but it is important. Right? That's one of the things we do want to be generous with. See, God uses individuals like you who respond in obedience who respond to his faithfulness and willingly give to the church to support the ministry that's happening here. So I just want to say again, I'm not, I'm not standing up here trying to beg anybody for money, trying to line my pockets. That's not the purpose of this message. Okay, but for some of us in this room, generosity is going to look like being able to give financially. If God's put you in a place Well, your bank account looks a little nicer than someone else's. Maybe you have the opportunity to sit down and look at your finances and your budget and say, man, here's some, uh, I can actually give a little bit more here. Maybe I can give to support a ministry or a missionary. Maybe I can actually give to the church. I'm in a financial position where I'm able to do that. Generosity looks like giving as God has blessed you. Maybe it's to the church. Maybe it's to individuals in your family or neighborhood that you know are in need. See, God maybe has put you in that position to be able to assist somebody else for his glory. 
Maybe some of you sit here this morning, and you're like, man, there's, there's a brother or sister in my neighborhood or my family or that I work with. I know they've fallen on financial hardship, whatever that may look like. God has blessed you to be able to serve them in that way, then I would encourage you to consider doing that. Now, I also do want to exhort you each to exercise a level of wisdom, even in your generosity, even in your financial giving. Look, I'm not asking you to give to the detriment of your family, right? Don't go giving to everybody in your neighborhood or every church or every ministry and then wonder how you're going to put food on the table. You want to exercise some wisdom there. Would we all agree with that? Does that make sense? Okay, now I done lost some of y'all. As soon as I said money, some of y'all gone. That's okay. All right, we're going to move on to the next one. So yes, we give financially. That's number one. Number two, we can be generous with our time. This one should be simple, right? What does it look like, though, for God's people to be generous with our time? How does that break down? Well, a couple of things I want to look at. Number one, we can be hospitable, right? Just opening your home. One of the things I love, man, about our church is this idea right here. You know, as elders, we sit down and we interview people who enter into membership. And one of the questions we always ask them is, look, man, there's 500 churches in Lynchburg. Why are you choosing CCF? And one of the answers at the top of the list is, man, I love how welcomed and at home I felt the minute I walked in there. And I just want to say to the members of CCF, thank you. I want to commend you for that. Because I see a lot of these organic relationships, a lot of you opening your homes to visitors, to other members. I love to see that. You know, I actually had a, a couple in our home this week who had visited once and they're thinking about jumping in and coming again. And uh, there's a brother in our church, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to embarrass him. But they just talked about one of the things they said is, look, man, this dude actually cornered us, talked to us for about 15 minutes before we left, got my number, took me to breakfast the next day. And now he's inviting me over to smoke some meat, me and my fiance. And bro, I didn't get that in any of the other churches I visited. Now, why do I bring that up? Not just to commend that brother, thank you for that, but man, what a wonderful opportunity it is to have gospel conversations. What a beautiful apologetic it is if we're actually people who are generous with our time. Right, that we open our homes. See, God uses that. If you go, think back to Acts chapter two, the end of Acts two, and it says that those believers, they met together in their homes and they broke bread. And what does it say God did? says he added to their number each day those who are being saved. And so maybe you have the opportunity to be hospitable, to just open your home and break bread with others, believers and unbelievers. Right? I've heard some incredible stories. I don't know if you guys are familiar with who Rosaria Butterfield is. Incredible story. Well, that's what changed her life is just a pastor and his wife simply opening their home and having dinner with this woman on a regular basis and then reading the scriptures and having these wonderful gospel conversations. Man, God changed her life drastically through simple hospitality. So that's one of the ways we can be generous with our time. Another way we can be generous with our time, not just opening our home, but it also looks like serving the church. Uh Uh-oh. Now, this gets difficult. It's one thing to serve in the areas we like that are easy and when time is, it's convenient. But what about giving up your time and serving in a place where it might be a little bit more difficult with you? 
right? It's one thing to stand at the front door and pass out worship guides and praise God for our hospitality team. We're so thankful. But maybe that's something you like to do. But maybe what you don't like is set up, but that's where we need you. Like, see, that's what, I don't want this to be lost in this conversation either. Giving should be sacrificial. So it should cost you something. Right, so inevitably, if you say, well, man, I'm going to be generous with my time and I'm going to spend time with that brother or sister, like you're going to have to say no to something else. You're going to have to make a sacrifice in another area. Same thing with your giving, right? If you decide, man, I want to set aside X amount of dollars to be able to give to this ministry or to give to the church or to this missionary, then that means I'm going to have to not spend this money somewhere else. So there is going to be a sacrifice. See, our giving should be sacrificial. Why? Because God gave the greatest sacrifice in Jesus Christ to save us. Our giving should be sacrificial. So maybe it's opening your home and being hospitable. Maybe it's serving the church. Maybe it's just finding that brother or sister that you know needs a level of encouragement. And maybe sometimes it's a little difficult. Let's be honest. Maybe it's sometimes it's man, I don't really feel like talking to this person because I'm going to be in this conversation forever. But you know what you do? You set aside some time to meet with that brother or sister to love them or encourage them. You give them your time. I think that's a simple step of generosity to be people who are actually available. And again, not just when it's convenient. I don't want you to misunderstand that. You know, so there are many ways we could be generous. Listen, in all of this too, Pastor Tyler talked about this a little bit when he gave his acronym on setting goals, right, on New Year's resolutions. You want to do something that's attainable. So maybe it's just starting simply by saying, hey, we're going to have one family a month in our home. And one of our neighbors once a month in our home. You know, don't try to set some outlandish goal like, you know what, I'm going to give $10,000 more this year. Like, praise God if you can do that. We certainly wouldn't turn it down. Amen? But, again, be realistic. Right? So maybe you look at your budget and say, well, I can give an extra 10 or 15 where I hadn't been, but maybe I can give that here or whatever that looks like. Or maybe it's like, hey, man, I'm going to find one brother or sister every two weeks to sit down with. I'm going to find that brother and try to minister to him as much as I can. I'm going to be open and generous with my time. You know, in all of these examples, again, you want to be realistic in your expectations, but you want to be people who exercise generosity because, again, God's been so generous to us. As we think about this conversation, as we close our time, as we prepare to go down the road, I want you to really ponder on this. Again, when we think about this conversation, it primarily begins with where's your heart? What has your heart? For the people of God, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have been saved by him, that should be what holds our primary affections. And then we don't mind giving of our time and our treasure and our talent. God's, because God's blessed us so incredibly. And we know that as we give sacrificially and consistently, man, God is honored by that. And again, I, I don't want anybody to leave here thinking that I'm trying to convict you. Look, if you're a person who is in a, a position where you have a lot of things. Or you're, I'm not saying that you're sinful, and I'm not telling you you need to sell it all to be saved. See, that's, a, that's the beauty of the gospel. 
Christ has saved us not because we go and sell all of our possessions or not because we give of our time so generously. He saved us in spite of knowing that we're people who tend to lean away from those things. In his grace, he's given Jesus for our redemption. And I hope that we would be people who respond to that, to respond to his infinite, eternal kindness and generosity by being people who exercise generosity ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. <clears throat> Lord, we love you. We're just so thankful that even as we have this conversation, which can often be a difficult and uncomfortable one, we're thankful to be reminded of the truth of the gospel, of who you are, Lord Jesus, that you've given yourself for your people, that we are free indeed because of you. We are forgiven and we are redeemed. Lord, would we be people who stop and really think and, and ponder on this topic? What are some areas of our lives where we can be more generous, where we can give of ourselves for your glory? Would we have hearts that desire you most and lean into this conversation and have that desire to serve and to give of ourselves for your glory and for the betterment of the people around us? Would we take this seriously? And would we do all things for the glory of Jesus? And I pray these things in his name. Amen.